This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. So, uh, some of you may recall a something that we did a while ago was we looked at some of the advice in the handler's guide on scenario design. And uh, I think one of the things we wanted to talk about today was some of the advice in the handler's guide for creating your own unnatural threats. So, not a whole scenario, but creating a monster, creating a bad guy. Um, does anybody have something? Anybody in, anybody in the, for the good of the group here have a bad guy they need help creating? I had one if nobody else has, uh, wants to speak up. No, yeah, no, I was pitching that to you. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, so I know that I want to make a monster from the Dreamlands, and I want to make it up like completely on my own, like new, not, you know, anything named in an H.P. Lovecraft story. Um, so just something like completely new, while still kind of like affiliated with the thing from the Lovecraft mythos. And I know what I want it to do, I just don't know how how it will go or like exactly what it will do. So I think that's probably something the book can help us out with here. So I think kind of like our, again, kind of like our segment on scenario design, let's start, let's go through the book's exact advice kind of in step and see what we come up with. So there first, for those of us following along at home, for those of you following along at home is on page 252 in the handler's guide. So the first thing is creating the, what's the concept? They describe it as a word I'm not going to try to pronounce um, you know, what? Catatresis? I actually remember this one. Yeah, catacresis. It's when you, I think you create horror by describing rather than the whole thing, just individual really weird parts, especially if they conflict with each other somehow. I remember, uh, I think Shane Anvey talked about this one time. We might have been in an interview we did with him. It's like, uh, like when you say the black stars, that's an example of like a catatresis. Yeah, so they say catatresis and cubism. So it's like deliberately using an impossible metaphor to describe a creature and drowning the image in details. Really, the question here is forget stats and does it have armor and does it have a cool ability for now? What uh, is the concept for this creature? Let's try to give it like a couple couple sentences on why is this something different than what exists now? Um, We can come up with like a better name for it, but I, I know I wanted to eat dreams so it's going to be like a dream eater. Uh, the so onerophage. Onerophage. Or hypn- hypnophage, maybe? Hypnophage is good because it reminds me of the Pokemon Hypno who had the the knockout yes. combo moves where you put a Pokemon to sleep and then eat their dreams and steal HP away from them. Um, let's see. Uh, Hypnos was the one of sleep. Who is the equivalent? What are you looking for? I'm looking for the I'm, so so hypnosis is the is sleep and Thanatos is death his half brother and Urbis is his dad the darkness but who is the dreams isn't that Morpheus Morpheus is the god of dreams good job nice. so that's some language what about I'm thinking like so I'm trying to think about like an impossible uh, description of like a mouth because if it eats dreams it, it doesn't have a physical chomp chomp mouth but it has a you know an impossible metaphorical mouth. Well, your mouth's usually open, so um, well, I guess like a mouth can also suck, huh? Because it's like suction. What's that, Tom? 
So I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at a descriptive text from a video game for something that this reminded me of. It says, "Here is a cutting vapor to infect your enemy's dreams." And I'm wondering if there's something like going off vapor, like teeth made of smoke or something like that. Uh, so in um, I'm going to find the text from uh, New Sun where one of the uh, Kakajins trying to defend itself from a rampaging giant uses a weapon that the protagonist describes as a dream and functions in a similar fashion to what you just said, Tom. All right, nice. The the two examples given here, which I'm kind of trying to pin down... Um, one of the Delta one of the Delta Green Mythos creatures has angles that are acute and obtuse, so that's like an incongruous like that can't exist, uh, or like shining darkness. So whatever, it's starting to try. I'm trying to think of something like a mouth that's unopenable, or like a mouth that never opens, something like those lines. It'll pull, it'll kind of create that incongruous. All right, here we go. Sense uh, someone I could not see who possessed that rarest of all weapons, a dream. It moved like Tyrion smoke at much faster, and in an instant it enveloped the giant. It seemed then that he stood wrapped in all that was past and much that had ever been. A gray-haired woman sprouted from his side. A fishing boat hovered just over his head, and a cold wind whipped the flames that wreathed them. That's the end. And that was off of uh, Tom's teeth, like cutting vapor. Yeah, specifically just the description of a dream creature based on smoke. What about, like. Teeth like cutting vapors and a mouth that never opens. The creature that usually appears um, at the end of uh, that wake that wakes me up is not a thing with a mouth. It's a thing with a face that flashes black and white very rapidly and causes me to have a seizure, and then I wake up. You talk about like a sleep paralysis demon. I'm talking about no. This, this is this is not that. This is when I have a dream. That is usually the thing that wakes me up. Is that one of the uh, protagonist's face melts and reveals that shape, which then causes me to wake up. That's good. Write that down. I'm I mean, I don't th- need I don't need to write it down because I fucking see it when I sleep. I'm also thinking based off Kevin's description, maybe like a mouth like a cave. It never actually closes, but it's so deep and dark you could just fall down that throat forever. Nice. Maybe it's not a mouth that um, is like anything. Maybe it's not a mouth at all. Maybe it's just the endless sensation of swallowing. So we, we can kind of see already we're coming up with some descriptions that are giving us some interesting actual hard data about the creature. Something with... Yeah. Uh, something like smoky or, you know, a little... Maybe some the form isn't fully there. You know, that's dreamlandy and that's good. Um, you know, it does have it has a mouth, but maybe it's... Like this, but one of his attack might be related to this swallowing, you know, grabbing mouth kind of thing. So we could probably keep coming up with interesting descriptive things, and let's keep that in our mind. I really like the idea of the impossible metaphors. Let's try to keep that highlighted, but let's move on to the next step here. I do think also, though, that whichever description you do pick should be related to, at least somewhat related to what the actual function of the creature is. Like one of the one of the things that you learn about a shoggoth when you hear that it's ever shifting is that it can change shape. So. It's good when even even if it's an impossible creature that the description contains some information. Oh yeah, if definitely. It's, if it's a mouth, then it's gonna eat. So that's good. And I if it's like if mouth, it's kind of an ant, do I eat? Wait, I have I have no mouth, and I must eat. What were you saying, Tom? I was gonna say, and if you build into the description that it's kind of an intangible mouth, then that tells you it's gonna eat something that's also intangible. Hell yeah! Yeah, we already know this is a dreamlandsy creature. So, all right, so. We defined the concept roughly as usual. You know, we can we'll we'll find more things and we'll come back and make changes. Um, I guess one question I think we should answer maybe before this is something that matters: Is this a 
Dreamless creature that is meant to be like a, you know, a, a, a mook, like a mini boss or a boss. But I mean, it's like, obviously, you know, the king yellow has stats, but you're not realistically meant to just go fight that. It's got stats because they need some some numbers there. Whereas like a zombie has stats because you can actually fight them and kill them. Where do you feel like this monster lays in that hierarchy? Um, I, I don't want it to be something that you can kill with guns. I know that much. It's got to be... What are you saying, Max? Oh, I was going to say you should kill it by poisoning it. You should have a dream about a box within an infinite number of boxes so that it gets lost in itself. Oh, I like that. So it's got to be like a, like a mental chess match. A mental fight. Yeah, so maybe it's like good. a mini-boss style, so it's, agents can't just gun it yeah, down. This is, this is definitely like the, the, the end focus of like a one-shot style scenario. Gotcha. So. Okay. All right, so it's, it's not apocalyptic. It's not world-ending. It's uh, it can be personally horrible yeah. for someone that sees it. It sounds a lot like the vanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. So, good. so it's it's a it's a, it's like the it's like the um the defeating this monster is like a puzzle. Yes. Yeah. And was the monster unleashed on the player character because of a clever spell or because they tampered with a cursed item? Is this like something you might run into? while you're in the dreamlands and then bring it back into the waking world like a, with you. Like a dreamlands ghost. Yeah. It haunts you from the dreamlands into the waking world. Yeah. Like, uh, this could be the result of like, uh, you know, if you make a fumble in the dreamlands or, you know, if you make your presence too known, this might be like, like, um, like a wild creature in the dreamlands, you know, it just follows you home. It's hunting. All right. So we want to figure out now is some stats bearing in mind that, like we may, it might not necessarily have a, a charisma stat. So if it doesn't have a stat for some reason, we don't need it. But if it has the basic stats, we want to try to figure out what those are. Um, there are a little bit of guide. There's a little bit of guidance in the handler's guide, at least in terms of like they they, they basically give a, a a strength number and how much damage it might it might do. So that could be something to kind of gauge that off of. If you kind of know how much damage you want to do on like a bite attack, but really. Really, we just need to figure out if any of these stats are going to be important. Um, does it have sanity? It can definitely defend itself with, uh, you know, some sort of a physical corporeal attack. Um, so it probably needs a strength and a con. Um, it definitely needs a power score, and it probably needs an intelligence score. Oh, and I, I guess a dex too, because otherwise you wouldn't want to win an initiative. What were you saying, Tom? Something my thing might be interesting is this this makes it less of a physical threat, but maybe if you do something to hurt it or to anger it, then it retaliates by giving you nightmares or other sort of bad dreams and or it prevents you from even falling asleep. And so the damage it does is in willpower loss. I, I think that this oh, creature this creature should not ever try to kill the prey because if you kill then then it's it's it, it is completely dependent on you to provide it food. It's like a so dream vampire. Yeah, so it cannot yeah. kill it cannot kill its prey and it wouldn't desire to. I yeah, think it feels sort of parasitic. Yeah. I think the main thing that it would do to you is um sanity, but also long term intelligence damage because you are now being robbed of the ability to collate and sort memories, which is the primary function that the brain is performing while dreams are happening. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, going through and uh thinking of which which events to chunk in the trash. What if it took its decks so, or some of its stats from the most recent thing it fed from? 
It could do that. It could like be based on like the most recent dream that you had, and it resembles like a nightmarish form of that. It's Um, not intelligent. It only knows how to um, mimic, imitate. Yeah, it's like it's like an octopus mimicking another fish or something. So let's try to put some numbers down to that. So it's probably not. It's probably not very physically strong. It gets a strength from. Right. I mean, ability, right? does it does it even have strength and con and all those things? If it does, if it doesn't exist in the real world, if it only exists in the imaginary land. It might, depending on the dream, I guess it might have them, but they only apply within a dream. Right. Yeah. So that, we could give it an instance that and say if if you need to make if if this creature needs to make a roll for strength in a in a dream, use its inset. You know what I mean? See, I think uh, Max is on something when he says it's not very smart. Because it could accidentally fuck up and like overeat and kill its, you know, host. Um, so I'd say it's probably got like a six int. Do it. So I remember in um, like Pathfinder and three point five, there's tables out there that can be used to kind of approximate like what stats mean um, in terms of like you know what strength ten is. This is you can lift X number of pounds of weight or. A uh, creature with this level of int can, you know, solve this level of problems. Uh, does anything exist like that for Delta Green? Is that is that in the book? Just for strength and attacks, not for everything. Um, okay. We could, I mean, so they list some samples. Like if you're going to do uh, a, a human, an unnaturally infected human, start with a deep one. If you're going to use the great old one, start with a Cthulhu. So we could start with a hunting horror or a Colorado space, but I'm not sure either of those is that good a, start, a, a base to work off of. So this um, one, what's, what's interesting is that a hunting horror is also a creature that can be found in the dreamlands. It's pretty close. Yeah. We could, but it is. No, no, that. no. No, a hunt because in uh, Jake, a hunting horror is an extremely fast murder machine that kills you by crushing you to death because it's it has it deals extreme damage in close quarters combat, which is thematically the exact opposite of what you're going for here. A Colorado space sounds like I guess ecologically kind of similar, but mechanically it it's very you. stripped down. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we could see what those creatures have for a power for intelligence and see, but I, so I kind of like the idea of giving it a high power. And having it make most of its rolls based off power, um, especially if it's if it's using them like in that, a dream attack or whatever. So like, what's that's a good basically high number that's not ridiculous? What were you saying, Tom? I was I was just gonna say that's basically how the Colorado space works, Kevin. It's literally just a pow stat, and then every time you interact with it, it's an opposed stat. To, it's an opposed roll to see if you gotcha. lose a point of pow and if it gains one. I feel like its willpower could also double as its hit points. I think that this creature should be opposed by the player's intelligence rather than their power. Because you're having to help going to make it smart then, yeah. Because I think that, well, first of all, just because everything uses power and that's kind of boring, but also because this is a creature that lives in your dreams and dreams are created from your imagination. So the person with the better imagination is um, maybe maybe it can hurt them more, but also they can hurt it more because the you know the better a simulated world you're able to create inside your mind, the maybe either the more control you have or or possibly it's the other way around, possibly the more uh, fine the resolution is in your personal hell. I don't know how I don't know how like if there's actually any correlation between cognitive power and um, intensity of dreams. But that's the way I imagine it would work in the Delta Green world. That because it's like how people who are more creative are stronger in the Dreamlands, whereas the average Delta Green agent is like you know 
clubbing rocks with a stick because uh, they dumped in. Machine. Yeah, they dumped in because they they because they knew that creativity would kill them. And uh, to that same effect, I this is going to be kind of unique, but I think that that's something you're familiar with, Max. I want art as a skill to be useful against it, or like you know, yeah. skills that are useful for being clever and imaginative. Basically, any any skill could be used to combat it. I just think that. You know, it, it would require an explanation from the player as to what they're doing and how. Yeah, we should. That can probably come up under defenses, definitely. So, all right. So, we think maybe a, a good in, not a good pow. Uh, is there any, any legs to it taking like the last person it ate from, or last person it attacked, taking like m- mirroring their number for power? I think it's probably we we mentioned vampirism or like parasitism earlier, so it probably just has a pool that it can, you know, build up from in terms of uh, willpower points, maybe power. Because what's the conversion rate? Isn't it like 10 willpower is equal to one point of power when you're casting uh, it, de- it depends on whether you're using, on, on whether you're bur- just burning power flat or whether you're using the ritual song of power. Because I feel like for every 10 willpower, it sucks from a dream uh, from someone, you know, from its host, it can gain a point of power. Yeah, generally it's 10 points. Now I think, like Melon mentioned, with that one ritual, it's one point pow per 20 willpower. I feel like it's better than the ritual because it's this is what it does naturally, you know? But let's put some let's put some hard numbers down. Um, I have it at relatively low int. I'm thinking like 6 int. Yeah, and we decided we wanted to have good int. It was not that whole discussion. No, we decided the exact opposite of that, Kevin. We yeah, decided it's, it was it's, dumb as hell. It's dumb as shit. It just copies things. All right. I think, yeah, I think that works. That it, it can just copy so it has low intelligence and creativity. Maybe it has strong force of will and a better power. It probably, it probably has no creativity. That's why it's fucking taking people's dreams. It was probably created by some dreamland sorcerer to, like, oppress his fucking dreamland subjects by oh, so they collecting... Rally against him? No, yeah. no, he was he was he was oppressing them by because um, in the dream world you're not collecting people's dreams, you're collecting people, right? And turning them into uh, rubies and fun gems. Here is a cunning vapor to infect your enemy's dreams. So maybe yeah, that's that's an interesting like uh, backstory for this thing. A maybe, human, maybe so a, hum- was, a human. It was created by a wizard in the dreamlands, but then either something happened and it broke loose and became feral. Uh, a human being infected by this thing is the equivalent of, uh, sorry, a waking world human being infected by this thing is the equivalent of a human being infected with swimmer's itch. It's you catching a parasite that isn't actually intended to infest you. It's intended to infest a different creature, but it's going to make your life hell as long as it's in your body. I like that. Um, let's let's give it a power score, guys. Uh, what do you? I mean, it's got to be at least fifteen. Probably more though, right? Because 15 is what I do when I want an agent to not pass breaking points very quickly. It's like a good number for mental resiliency, I think. Yeah, 15 sounds like a good ballpark. We can always adjust later. I just want to... Better than most people, but not better than the best people. Put some numbers down so we can like move to the next step on the... Yeah, on the yeah sounds good. So I'm looking at page 190, which is the defensive qualities. Um the Which one that's also right underneath the color out of space. If you scroll yeah. up, <laughs> um, the one that might fit the most is transcendent, which is basically immune to physical damage. Um, it's a little powerful, but we kind of do want this to be fought with, you know, it literally doesn't exist in the real world, so yeah, you can't fight it in the real world. It's oh, transcendent in the waking world, but I think that in the 
dreamlands, you might be able to physically harm it. Tom, you had something? Oh, I was going to say, it, it's fine if it's transcendent because it's not going to physically attack you back. So it's not like you're prevented from counterattacking it. And I think, yeah, that you might be able to physically, like, physically, quote unquote, attack it in the dreamlands, but you can't really kill it. You can only temporarily dissipate it. So do you want to give it a separate armor, qual- a different armor quality in the dreamlands? Yeah, it would be like uh, Waking World Transcendent and then Dreamlands. Um, so the ones on page 190, those are good, like, starter suggestions. Um, sometimes, I don't know, it, it also... Things get kind of complicated whenever you bring like dreamland stuff into it because there's like you can physically enter the dreamlands and you can sleep enter the dreamlands and each way has different implications like if you're following along with um, how Lovecraft envisioned it because the real dreamlands are set like 500 years in the past so like technology doesn't quite function the way it should there when you're dreaming or I, I might be misremembering how it works there. Or it also might be that this is irrelevant. I was bringing that up because uh, can you bring a gun to the Dreamlands? Can you bring explosives? Or um, ne- Never you know, bring a gun to a dream fight. Because we mentioned earlier that we want it to be something you combat using your imagination. So that's its defenses have to be related to that, I think. You could also starve it by um, knocking yourself unconscious in, uh, instead of sleeping. Like, uh, heavy drinking and sedatives will put you in a state that um, is distinct from sleep. I like that a lot. It's a cop-out because um, all it is is just take this pill and forget you were ill. But uh, it's what does require the player to identify the being as... Um, in fact, that's probably how most normal people get rid of them. Most normal people probably say, I'm having night terrors, and the guy says, cool, here's a fucking... Here's um, an ambient. yeah. And then you go to the ambient subreddit and you read all the really wild things that people post there. Does it need to be, can it just be transcended in the dream world too? Does it need to be different? Oh, what's your rationale there? What are you thinking about that? That just means like you can't physically harm it, right? Yeah. But I mean, some, some entities transcendence protects only in certain kinds of harm uh, up to the handler. So we could, we could, we could put in, we could, we could build in some weaknesses here. You know, transcendent, you know, but I mean, hypergeometry default does damage. So we could say, you know, oh, yeah, transcended, yeah. but, but you know, dream bullets do damage or, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. So we may not need to have two separate types of armor based on, or two separate types of defenses based on where it is if we don't have to. Because this is the next step on the thing, right? It's to determine defenses. Yeah. Um, well, we, we determined how different ways we want it to be hurt. So, like, honestly, I'm, I like making up one. I think it's fun, you know, how all the stat blocks have the all caps letters. Like if I just want one that says unimaginative <laughs> and that's where you get the uh, the ability to use your art score, um, your intelligence times five, uh, you know, different creative skill uses to hurt it. I don't know how much damage it should take from those. Well, how much HP or willpower does it have? takes willpower on. So we said, we were thinking that one of its things is that it can get like a willpower pool and feed off of its victims. Um, so it probably, like the one way Max said, you could starve it by, you know, knocking yourself out. You could weaken it that way. Um, then you could um, fight it in your dreams with, with dream logic. Uh, I think it has 15 
will power points and its will power functions as both its hit points and what it uses to do abilities. What if like front imaginative you make a you make an attack roll based on your your declared creative skill and then of the two dice you take probably had to be the lower or else you keep multiplying pretty quick. Like take the lower of the two. Is that weird? Sensible? Say that one more time. It's like you, you make an art roll and you roll so you roll a twenty five. So that's a two and a five. You do two you know, that does two damage to it. You're saying give art a lethality score? Well, whatever creative skill you end up rolling. I think right, you, so. you, should, you should allow the player to argue for creative uses of various things. You're talking about a way to use art skills to damage this thing. Yes. By, like, outthinking it. Yes. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, so how does it mechanically work? I've, I've posited one suggestion. We either take it or we posit another. I need you to tell it to me one more time. Right. Take whatever skill you're trying sure. to roll. I have art kazoo at 50. Roll right. two dice. Just any two dice? I mean, make a skill roll. You got, you got, you got a 49. Crack. You roll, do, you roll D100 twice. Is that what you're saying, Kevin? No, no. So roll no, he's saying, your skill. He's saying, you, he's saying you, use the, you use whichever of the two dice and your D100 roll is lower is the damage that you deal to the being. Because a D100 yeah. roll is 2D10. Oh, so the lower of the two okay. D10s becomes a damage roll. Kevin, personally, I would just say use the sum of the dice since that's an existing mechanic. You could do, but if you do that, it needs a lot more willpower, or else you're going to kill so this So it's one percent. That's Kevin. It doesn't need that much more willpower. It's we've we've verified that it's got between ten and twenty willpower for every point of power it has. Well, we have like, fifteen willpower right now. So that's all right. So it's got hundred fifty. Design consideration here should be to make the doing damage with art mechanic as simple and straightforward and easy to understand as possible. Whether yes. that results in a monster that is too too easy to defeat or too difficult to defeat, that is a later design problem. You know what? Yeah, I agree. Adding the two together is is easy because that mechanic exists already. It's basically treat every creative skill as lethality. I think that uh, you should be able to, if you're like a physicist, you like put it in a Klein bottle or something, and then in the Dreamlands you have the creature in a Klein bottle. Like you wake up in the Dreamlands and then you got it. Yeah, I mean the handler should be encouraged to allow you know creative uses of skills. Use architecture and then trap it in an Escher painting. A pin? Uh, is it a pin? Like in pin fucking Inception. That's, isn't that what they did in Inception? I don't remember that. That yeah, was what they did in Inception. Yeah. Yeah, they exactly. like design these elaborate mazes, and then you commit them to memory, and then you, when you dream, you dream about the maze. Beautiful. I love it. Kill my monster with it. Yeah. If somebody's seen Inception, like, hey, I want to do that. That's, I'd allow it. I'm just gonna say a successful skill roll adds, or um, when you, whenever you make a successful skill roll. Just add the sum of the sum sum the dice, right? Yeah, sum sum the digits together. Don't sum the dice together because then you'll get someone going, "Oh, I do, I do, I roll a sixty-nine, I do sixty-nine damage to it." You sum the digits. The average roll two d ten is eleven, so we should use that to calculate its hit point. Essentially, its hit point. That's, yes, that's good because good, that good means use of dice math, it, Kevin. it'd be at least two attacks, like on average. Because if it has 15 willpower points and you do 11 to it, you fucked it up real good and you got it on the rails, right? A two on average sounds 15 pretty good. Seems, 15 seems like a too low a number. You'll mulch this thing in one, one combat turn. The group of ages will kill this without it getting a turn. 150 seems too high. It'll take a lot of turns. So we need to find a medium between I the think two. On average, I think you, you want to have it take three successful attacks to kill it. Three is a good, 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 good round number. So make it 30. 
Yeah. And then maybe give it a mechanic where it can steal more willpower, willpower back to try to heal itself. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if it's if I've seen a I've seen this mechanic in games. I don't remember if I've seen it here. But we could let it sacrifice power for willpower, kind of at will, which would make it weaker, but would heal it. Why me? Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Because oh, then, then I was then, sitting here typing, and then it and then it clicked the joke. Because then it would have to decide. The handler would decide. Okay, so the first turn this thing gets attacked, it loses half its willpower. Does it run away and try to turn its will, its power into willpower to like stay healed? Does it attack and try to drain? Like give it some some thinking. So okay, so we have its defenses and we have what hurts it. So now uh, the next step on page two fifty three is attacks. So what do we got? Yeah, what what does it do? So again, they list a few potential attacks. Uh, so you know, if if we find one that's if we come up with something that's similar enough to another one that exists, we can just use one that exists so that there's some uh, you know similarity. But we have no, we don't need to follow what exists already. So the way that it attacks is that. Uh, you you're you're having a dream and then it appears in the dream and then it ends the dream by eating it because that's what this creature does. Owner, is that like a, maybe we can turn it into like a grappling mechanic? Cause it's the first turn. I no, I don't have a mechanical antecedent for this because it's not like the whole point is that it's not just a creature that just attacks things by rolling damage. I agree. If that's what we wanted to do, then I should have gone forward with mine instead. Yeah, that's what we said earlier uh, that it's more prone to run away. And uh, recuperate and come back. There should be some kind of there should be some kind of effect that having your dreams eaten has on you, because otherwise, yeah. Why I, does I, I mentioned earlier that it would cause pro, uh, prolonged exposure would cause intelligence damage. Mm. But but the the main thing then is how do you stop it from just running from just from just um, destroying the simulation every time you encounter it? You have to find some way. The real the real question isn't how do you use the art skill to kill it because that sounds like it's not going to be that difficult once you've trapped it. The question is how do you stop it from destroying the world that you've imprisoned it in? So that becomes the real puzzle. Maybe it doesn't destroy the dreams. Maybe it does something else to them, changes them. It's like uh, in the first Matrix movie when Keanu Reeves sees the cat twice and he goes, well, deja vu. And they're like, oh, fuck. So maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it can... What if... Um... Yeah, maybe. Suppose you're having a dream about one of your bonds, somebody who is important to you, and you dream that they do something weird or something horrible, and then you know it's a dream, but you know on some level you can't shake that you... What I'm saying is it damages your bonds. There's bond damage. That's good. All right, we should look at what the book says to do. Um, let's see. Because it seems like we're not really putting anything down on paper. Let's see what the book's suggestions are. I'll be a drink. All right. So we're saying it doesn't. It's not like a like a Genki monster. Like it's not like a something that has claws and teeth and it physically attacks you. It's more prone to run away. Um, it's like its armor is that it's transcendent. Does it have any sort of way to defend itself otherwise? Like once you once you have it in a dream. Yeah, I mean, should we give it like a cursory attack just because it you know if it's if it's if it's really cornered can't escape and not going to just let you murder it and so we we've already also established that we know we want it to be a mimic thing what if it like takes the form of your bonds that's what will suggested a minute ago uh, so yeah how would that work though what's what mechanically what are we looking at because you can't like like in your dream if it's you know all of a sudden it's one of your bonds and it takes the form of one of your bonds you uh you can hurt it uh but then so maybe that's how it takes, you take bond damage so what does it like 
does it suddenly change the dream so it makes you think you've been sleepwalking or something and even though you're still in the dream it makes you think in the you're in the real world physically threatening one of your bonds yeah it does the dream thing like you guys have had that right where you've had a dream where in the context of the dream you didn't realize you were dreaming or like you dream that you like wake up and go to work twice basically yeah yeah yeah, exactly you're like oh that was a weird dream and then you like you wake up and you have like octopus legs (laughs) and you're like this is perfectly normal okay so how do we turn that into like game stats well doing horrible stuff to your bonds um makes you lose sanity that does it's it's defenses are uh, sanity damage. <clears throat> oh my god! No, it do, if if you corner it, it does that to try and encourage you to wake yourself up. Because once you wake yourself up, then it can go then it can go on its way. It's stuck in the dream until you wake up. So it wants you to try and wake yourself up so it can get away from you. I'm gonna try that again without, without my mouthful. We also need to figure out how much sanity damage you take from seeing this thing at some point. There's got to be something in the book for how much helplessness and damage it is to see something bad happen to your bonds. Uh, yeah, it's in the player's or agent's handbook. And it's one of those things that never, ever comes up is like uh, sanity lost from helplessness. Like, like almost never do you see a bond take damage. So I like that. Um, it is according to this. Uh, so a bond suffers permanent harm or gains a disorder is 1 over 1d4, but nearly get a bond hurt or killed is 0 over 1. Yeah. I mean, clearly the, the zero, the pass, is, uh, yeah, you, you, you're still dreaming. It's fine. You're still dreaming. So you, in order to get away from it, you have to basically spend a point of sanity by failing, you know, failing damage to your bond. Failing and causing damage to your bond. That might make it interesting if you're, if you're trying to actually kill it, you need to stay in the dream long enough for it to be defeated. So you have to like, know going into it that you're going to do this, take the damage anyway, but like stay in. So I wonder if we want to. I wonder if that should ramp up like plus one every time. You, every time you're forced to to do that like, to, to hurt or damage your bond in the same you know dream sequence. And like it, it takes possession of your bonds, and like you see your bond like hurl themselves out of a window or something like that. I feel like we've strayed from the the path of the, the, what, the what we were doing with this bit here. Yeah, well, I mean, we've we don't really. We, I mean, so do we want to give this an act, an, an attack, or does is everything happen in a dream? And it doesn't have any way to do damage to you. It doesn't do physical HP damage to you, no. So if you go into the dreamlands and you find this thing, all it can do is run away. It feels weak. I think this is cool, though, that it can use dreams to manipulate you. And as the GM, at least when you're running this monster, you kind of control what the player perceives because it's all a dream. I, I, I agree. I'm just saying, I'm trying to think if, you know, if, if running this thing and my players decide to go and find it, you know, in the dream, in dream world rather than dreaming whatever it you know and they start beating up on this thing with art skills it can't hit back all it can do is cause minor sand damage that feels okay it feels like, like this thing is going to get mulched and just not do any damage we had we had the inception uh inception reference earlier when you attack it it goes into like a deeper layer of the dream so like sure you've in Developed it in whatever creative method you had there for the first attack. Now it and it takes you to another layer, and like it's hurting more now, and it's ramping up its tactics that it's going to use against you. Basically, this this went from being like a dream-eating monster to an Inception monster. <laughs> well, not yet, but actually, I'm kind of coming around on what Kevin said because we were saying earlier that it's a mimic, right? It'll 
call your from your nightmares something you've dreamed about before. So if you've dreamed about other monsters or other enemies, it would make sense if it has something there. Oh, oh, that's good. Like it just be based on like other like Delta Green monsters that you've come across or other events that you like hard moments you've had to had to take part in for Delta Green, you know, like uh, going through uh, any any of the other like modules or scenarios or whatever that you've gone through. It will recall one of those moments. I'm just spitballing here. So tell me to show yeah, you. How do I make that mechanical? Aside from just pick a random attack that any other monster has and use it, and maybe that's it. But we could go with the mouth again. We have like we were focused on the imagery of the mouth and teeth at first, so we could give it just like if you can't think of anything else, it's got a generic bite attack that does X per it's X percent, yeah. and maybe it does two d six damage. Let's go with that for now. So it has some way to just to write it down for now. So I think if you want to. Uh, when it makes when it makes you hurt a bond and, and you lose sanity, it should gain it should gain things from that. Well, I thought that that was its defensive mechanism that it, that forces the dreamer to wake up. I guess that's kind of lame because that's just fail a sanity roll, wake up, and then you have to figure out how to like entice it back all over again. Um, earlier, I was thinking about it. It's also a thing similar to the problem I had when I ran the thing with the vanity. It's basically like a solo thing. It's one agent that's dreaming. It'd have to be one agent that volunteers to like fall asleep and like try to lure the monster. Maybe it's infectious. Maybe being in the same cell as okay. the person who got it at first it spreads to their dreams. Like if you're all sleeping in the same motel room on an opera, then it goes to the rest of you. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a way to make sure that it's not like one person gets to play the game and the others don't. So the the other bits under like um Special abilities, you know, defenses, attacks, environmental adaptations. So it's probably something there about like Dreamlands. Hybrid geometry, does this have magic? I'd probably say no. Movement, I was thinking, like, you know how in a dream you rarely ever, like, if you're in a dream and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to the airport, you rarely ever have the whole dream where you walk to your car, get in your car, drive to the airport. You just aren't suddenly at the airport, like the next part of your dream. No, actually, that's the opposite of how my dreams usually work. Usually, I'm trying to go to some place and never find myself there. There's always another interminable scene in between me and my objective. Yeah, but you still jump from like scenes. It's actually a lot like running an RPG where the resolution of every task gets infinitely bid back as people appear to throw things on the pile that need to be done before the ultimate resolution. That explains so much. Yeah, it explains so much. Yeah, these sounds like stress nightmares. Yeah. I've I've had both formats of dream. I have as well. For its movement, it should just, like, it shouldn't, like, move from place to place. It should just, the, the, the scene should change, and it should just be where it wants to be. Suddenly you're there. Yeah, oh, exactly. Maybe you can trap it by, by continuing to add, like, minutia of, of, of intermediate tasks. No, you have to do, <laughs> you have to do if-then statements. All right, if the monster yeah. moves to, a, the, to the, the kiosk, I want to... Yes, if, uh, you, you defeat it by stalling the actual game itself. When the GM gets frustrated, you've won. Right, so, so, yeah. And then the last thing that it tells you to do is senses. So I think that um, when we started doing this, we might have fucked up by this being a Dreamlands monster instead of like a physical monster. Maybe, nah, we, sh- maybe we should have started off with a softball. I, I have one that I would like to help with. We could try like a more physical monster because that seems to be what the book wants you to make. I had the idea of a creature that is 
was um, stored in an amphora of strange fluid until some idiot knocked it over and released it. And it is a bronze colossus or some other type of creature of a, it's the Flens nervous system of a human being placed inside of a, a living panoply, like a suit of what we would, you know, some somewhere between like cyborg power armor and Mycenaean hoplite gear. This was made in the ancient times by someone, probably some dark sorcerer using a scroll that he found as some kind of servitor. And where I'm getting stuck is like, I have, you know, this background, I have a bunch of different uses for it. Like it might be that some archeologists dig it up. It might be that it's in the basement of the D stacks, the university of university, um, American Museum of Natural History. It might be that some cult keeps it in its basement to use it as an assassin. Where I'm losing the thread is I want it to have cool destructive powers, but I don't want it to just be another monster that hits you with a sword or a spear or whatever, or just does damage in a boring way. I want it to have abilities that are horrifying and dangerous without just being dull and the same shit that everyone's done before. I don't want it to just be a melee tank, even though that's probably what would be appropriate given the theming. So, I mean, yeah, it's uh, like ancient warfare machine, right? Because that just sounds like it's tanky and it can hit really hard. Um maybe it is really slow at telegraphing it's like like it, it always power attacks and it you know you can use dodge instead of just like taking the hit on the chin i would like something a bit more exciting or something that will make the players actually scared of it because oh, a melee okay. a, a, a slow moving melee tank in the world of delta green is just begging you to say all right get uh, get the armor piercing bullets and then two lethality rolls when, later the problem's over whenever i have like a like fifth edition this actually started when i was running pathfinder whenever i have an adventuring party that gets too big for their britches there is one weird trick that I like to pull out, and that is the Rust Monster. Uh, so yeah, there's there's lots of good creatures like that. Rust Monsters will destroy your stuff. Um, level draining undead in the older editions were widely feared because they would not deal that much damage, but they could uh, take away your experience levels. So what is the Delta Green equivalent to that? What is a monster that will scare the players beyond just, oh, it deals damage? Um, what it does. It, it's... Like it absorbs the kinetic impact of bullets and then returns the force to the user, or like re- mirrors the damage back at them. Okay, Tom, I said- cut you off. Go ahead, Tom. I was thinking, uh, there's a spell you've used in a couple scenarios, Mel, on the Dread Curse of Azathoth, where it turns any of your failed rolls into a fumble. And I'm thinking, what if it does that specifically to any weapon more advanced than one it's using? So if it's using a sword and you're shooting with a gun, then anytime you fail a roll your gun magically like misfires or jams or something. And so you can't use that gun for another turn until you clear it. That's not a terrible idea. I know that in um, Mortal Coils had something similar where there was a, a Dreamlands bear that had drank a lot of Dreamlands wine. And so when you fought the bear, your guns turned into wooden spears because they were Dreamlanding. Because the bear yeah, imagined living in a world of primitive spears. And spears. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Let me throw an idea. Uh, this, thing, this thing is covered with a shell of bronze, right? Yes. So imagine you fire at it with your fully automatic uh, firearm and the bullets that hit it um, flatten onto it and and become part of its outer shell. And just Ah. every time you hit with more bullets, it gets more and more lead. So it's constantly accumulating just trash as it touches metal objects? Yeah, yeah. I, I like this because I like the implication that the reason it's covered with bronze is because some Bronze Age uh, boomers tried to kill it and, and failed. That's an interesting uh, spin on it, and I, I do like monsters that are just made of trash that they've accumulated. I 
they do a did um and and then the way you kill it is with a big magnet. You just pick it up. Yeah, it's, like it's, a, it's something you can kill with heavy machinery. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, you just it. put it in a trash compactor. So one of the things you said was that you don't want this thing to be a big, slow-moving, you know, plotting tank fight. But I want it to be tough, but I just don't want it to be dull. Yeah, but also, like, what if it's not slow? <laughs> what if it's faster? <laughs> I do I do like that kind of alternate interpretation of where it's, it's like fleet-footed Achilles, where yeah. the whole reason why he was so dangerous, besides the fact that he was literally invincible in a demigod, is that he could move really fast despite his heavy-ass hoplite panoply. Um, I, I had, I had like in the back of my head, all kinds of other theming for it that, um, honestly is not that like exciting, but I just, I just like, like the idea of it. Like, um, it's got a, um, like basically the, the wizard equivalent of an FLIR, uh, for looking infrared, but it is shaped like an owl perched on its shoulder because it's like Athena because oh, the guy who made it was a, was like a, an ancient Greek who didn't really understand the great old ones or anything like that and was just kind of doing what he doing what he knew. He got something there. Uh, Jews said uh, to draw some of the powers of the Greek gods that they might have worshipped. So you could have it do some lightning damage from... Uh, oh, fuck, what's... Didn't Zeus throw lightning bolts? Yeah, Zeus had, had it, and then... Zeus had it, Poseidon had earthquakes. One of my favorite stories in um, Greek legendary is that I, I don't remember if this was actually in the Iliad or if it was in some of the, like, the supplementary legends uh, of like Hesiod or Aeneas or whatever. There was one Greek uh, princeling or commander or whatever who found a magical box, and inside the box was an idol of Dionysus. And the thing about Dionysus is that um, he is the god of drinking a whole lot, but also of divine madness. So when the man opened the box and saw the treasure, he instantly went permanently insane. So you know, like those historically, the like the I want to I want to say they were Janus or Janus, but like the masks that have a face in the front, a face on the sides. Um, I, are you thinking of those? Are you thinking of Janus, the two-faced god of the crossroad, or are you thinking of the tragedy and comedy masks? He's thinking of Janissaries, which was the no the Janissaries yeah, are the Turkish no. slave soldiers. I know. I mean, I, you've, it's kind of a mix of both. But like, what if this thing had a had a head? Right? It has a head, but it's got four sides to it. And depending on which head is forward, you know, if it's a, if it's a Zeus head, it's got lightning abilities. If it's the yeah, uh, you know, like make it kind of like uh, give it that kind of a theming. I want to make it a bit more grotesque and not just um, like Pathfinder, but I like where your head where your head's at here. If it's if it's bronze, it could just like it could just like shudder and like m- like mold like like melt a little bit, and like the other head could just come out of it. Like that, the Zeus head could get like sucked in, and then the you know Apollo head could like rise out of it. it could be kind of a grotesque theme. The, I'm I'm looking for something that's like gruesome and horrific, but not necessarily just damage dealing. This sort of ties into my thoughts about permanent injuries and how it's difficult to to kind of put a pin on something that's in between being in, inconsequential and making someone retire a character instantly. So use that chart that's on the in the book. Which chart are we referring to? On page two fifty two. Start with this creature's stats. So okay. It says um, deep one lesser, but I think this is probably more than that, right? Yeah, I think it should be like a greater deep one. It sounds like a good place to start. Which is a greater deep one in this in this book is just a deep one with like more strength and con and stuff. Right. Deep like because plus like like technically that's got you know the reproductive barb or whatever, but for our purposes that as a template is just deep one but bigger, deeper one. 
No, the deeper one is the is the deep one that fucks a dolphin. Right. So it's got strength twenty six, con twenty six, dex eleven, int sixteen, power fourteen, HP twenty six, and willpower fourteen. Three points of bony scales, but I imagine you probably want this to have more armor than that, huh? Yeah, either uh, ten or fifteen. Are there stats for like bronze chest plates? Because that's the armor it has. You know what I mean? I wonder if those stats are in. No, I don't no. agree anywhere. Um, it's either ten or fifteen. Um, you could you could use oh, the gosh. stats from a vehicle. Yeah, ten or fifteen. It sounds like you need to just use one of the other defensive qualities. No, I I really don't like most of the special defensive powers in Delta Green because I think that they are approaching Pathfinder territory of like, you know, is it you know does it have DR? Is it is it resilient versus silver or cold iron? Like, I, I really don't like that. I would rather just give it a high armor value because the main, the one problem with that is that it just means like, oh, well, I just bring a rifle. Yeah, it, it'd be, it, if you have it at 10, it'd take like a heavy rifle to even think about hurting this thing. Um, Let's see. Uh, The average damage from a carbine is uh either either 6 or 7, so uh, 6.5, and then 6.5 with 3 armor penetration, so you're talking about um 12... Yeah, twelve armor versus. Yeah, you're right. It, that that, that a uh, a regular old uh, five five six would not scratch it if it had fifteen armor. And, and a, is that what you're going for? Is that something you want? I'm 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 crunching the numbers in my head, so I'm going to continue to to do that. Uh, if it's at fifteen, then a, then a heavy rifle like a three oh eight is going to take off five of its armor. So that's ten armor versus a d twelve plus two. So the average damage output of d twelve plus two is eight point five versus ten. Yeah. So you're you're right. It would it would resist um, resist most gunfire from mundane weapons. And that's desirable to you. Yeah. It's desirable, but I don't know because then it's just like one of the, one of the things that um, that I have with Delta Green is that uh, one of the reasons I don't like the lethality breakpoints, and I've, we, I've complained about this many times, that is that it's like well, just shooting it doesn't work, but after you reach a weapon of a certain size, shooting it actually does work. So you just try bigger and bigger guns until you um, get through. And once you have a big enough one, then I maintain this is a communication problem between handlers and players, and not anything inherent about the mechanics themselves. Glancy gave us an example at Gen Con of how you're supposed to do this. I think that most of the um, the lethality breakpoint mechanics would have been better served by just giving the monsters HP, armor, and regeneration. But that's I think it's a I think it's a, a easier a better way to achieve the same thing. Um, so it's got between 10 and 15 protective armor. It is probably going to be immune to lethality ratings. I don't want to give it like you know how you know how so many monsters in Delta Green say like a cold shot to the vitals inflicts no damage as if the players yeah, would ever think uh, to do that. Natural biology. I actually am not going to do that with this one because I think that inside there is pieces of a person somewhere. So if you shoot it in the heart of the brain, you'll kill it. They're just pickled in strange spirits. It should smell like wine wherever it goes, wine and vinegar. I, I don't know why, but I really like that, the idea of a creature that smells like um, disgusting, spoiled um, alcohol. I've used that like two or three times now. Anyway, I'd be uh, wine how you make vinegar? Um, yes, that's the that's the idea, is that uh, ah, wine, that, wine that, okay. that gets older becomes vinegar. So I've, I've, been, I've been pretty difficult with this. So uh, between 10 and 15, armor protection... Um, Immune to lethality, but not immune to called shots. If you know where its body parts are, um, special attacks is where we got kind of in the weeds. I think, Jake. What's the next step? Uh, that is the next step. Okay, so good for us. It goes. Uh, looks like you do stats. 
then you do uh, defenses, and then you do attacks. Then um, if you want anything special about the attacks, like it gives you some examples for like explosive spittle, killing frenzy, flash and drain, etc., etc. Um, so maybe now is the time to get in the weeds about what you wanted to do in terms of attacks. Yeah. <clears throat> um, could do like... Uh... Hmm. Um, I am wondering with uh, the I mentioned earlier, like oh, it had you know the the idol that um, like instantly drove people insane. It may be cool if instead of that, it had like a um, like one of the faces on its mask. When it turns that to face you, it just if you look at it, it deals massive sand damage. Not like not like D one hundred, but like a, a D ten the first time it happens. That's cool. So it does as an attack that deals sand damage. Yeah, I think it might be cool if it if it's just like you know has spears or a claw or whatever. If it has another cool ability on top of that, but one that's actually like interesting because I I like like I like the lightning. I like the um the the extra faces. You're thinking this is pretty big. Uh, like, it's could this it's grab? like it's probably about six to eight feet creature. All right, it's not as big as I was thinking. I was not say because if if it could grab and pick up an agent in his hand, that is an interesting mechanic. Is it? Then you have to like deal with trying to get you know get the agent out of that. The agent might be taking oh. like grip damage, and also like a fumbled firearms roll could potentially hurt the agent. Yeah, I think that's good that it would that it could use people as as shields. It might be that um, one one thing about it is that this thing is not going to be like a tactical genius. It's going to be a smart and capable hunter, but also it's guided by the pickled brain of a human being from like four thousand years ago who is not going to know what a firearm is and not going to know what electricity is. So it would actually be very easy to... Will, Will I'm going to call upon your vast knowledge of the material sciences. Uh, how conductive is bronze? Bronze is an alloy of tin and copper. So I want to say it's fairly conductive. Steel. So how, how conductive would a bronze shell around a bunch of sacks of salt, fat, water, and vinegar be? You can stick one hand on each part of a battery. Well, salt and water is extremely conductive, so that's a thing. Um, I'm just thinking, like, what are fun ways to fight things besides shooting them? Electricity is cool, actually. I, I like that. And actually, come to think of it, we... Um, hmm. So, here's where I'm going to do something unusual, and I'm going to say, never mind the science, because the science says if you run a current through this bronze thing, which contains a shell of salt and water and vinegar which contains most of a person then the current would arc around the person because human f- desiccated human flesh is going to have the wor- the most electrical resistance of any part of that equation so i'm going to say forget the 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 science and yeah electricity is a cool way that they you put, they put like it. a superconducting nervous channel through him that goes right to his yeah brain. yeah they gave him reflex boosters and, and neurochem yeah they knew that he needed three speed in order to survive in this world that might that might be a good trick to make him scarier. Just give him a bonus action because that's there's nothing fucking scarier than like most RPGs than a guy that gets two actions. Yeah, that deals with action economy, which is unless this thing's gonna be fighting in a pack, it'll just be economy down to one, death. One, so that's yeah, one one thing that I always like doing for um, monsters that I'm worried about getting action economied is they'll only attack in super close quarters, and then they'll use their they'll use their attack action to fight back against people with guns. So if, if this thing drops into like an elevator with you and you try to shoot it, it can use its action to fight back against you shooting it because you're like right on top of it. Before we get started with this, does anybody want to get off the elevator? Which is this a reference to, Jake? Nice. It's the scene where Captain America kicks like ten guys' ass inside. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. Where um I like I like that and then um 
I liked it in. I'm, I'm not going to go down this road. This is a different film. I finally saw the first Die Hard. Wow, it's pretty good. Now you understand the board game. I have not played the board game. I was like a sick, diseased baby for that Egg Gen Con. Well, <laughs> welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. Now I have a movie reference. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> so, all right, so back to electricity. If, it should be smart enough to know that if you electrocute it, it should grab one of you so that you have to electrocute your buddies. Um, I you don't know adapt. that it does it. I don't know that well, it's like, going to oh be God. Good. Like after the first time, like you zap it. It hurts it, and then you try to zap it again, and it grabs one of you, and it's like, I'm not going to let that happen you twice. Can, you can kill it with T-rays. You can uh, kill it with with, uh, with Tillinghast radiation. Uh, oh, I thought you meant by T-rays, you meant like terahertz rays. I accidentally got them confused in my head. You can kill them with Tillinghast radiation. <laughs> okay, yeah, because it's metal. That sends it back to the past. I'm I think sorry, that I if, that idea, yeah, that's happen. good. It's good. If electricity is fatal to it, then it probably shouldn't have a lightning cannon, because I don't think that anyone would ever make that connection. Um, it might also be cool if it had, um, if it's, if it's like super fast, but also super heavy and made of meat inside of metal, it should have like big ass decorative cooling fins on its back that are actually super essential to it being alive. Yeah. And there should be some sort of a nod to the fact that if it's, if it's fast, if it's fast, it doesn't necessarily have to be as agile. So it might just have a lot of inertia. Like, you know, once it gets going, it's tough to stop. So the cooling fans, would that be a specific weak point? Like if you attack those and damage them it starts boiling inside the suit yeah it's got it's got fins on the back and if it um gets those damaged then it it um you guys remember in wind up girl how the um the like uh the synth in wind up girl was uh incapable of sweating so she had superhuman speed but she couldn't really use that power unless she was immersed in water because otherwise she would basically cook herself alive it's kind of like that I haven't read that Gene Wolfe novel. Yeah, uh, good, good job, Will. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, within within the ballpark, and by within the ballpark, I mean not even close. That does create an interesting issue where you have to use action economy to your advantage, with at least one person kind of distracting it and drawing its attention, and one person getting behind it to make that shot. Like you can't just keep wailing on it. You've got to have people coming at it from multiple directions. Yeah, I like I like where we got it from from a mechanical perspective, and now I want to make sure that we've got the um, the narrative element squared away, like a good descriptive of it that doesn't make it just sound like um, the bronze monster from Jason and the Argonauts. All right, that's the the beginning thing we kind of skipped over the catacrisis. Yeah, the, the impossible metaphors are incongruity. But so one of the things we already kind of hit on is that it's it should be slow. It, it looks like it would be slow, but it's not. And so that's an interesting description like, uh, bit there. Lumbering and then quickness. It should have it should have super tiny feet for its size. And size and Quentin Tarantino. You know what they say about little feet, little socks. Well, their mom, never mind. They didn't wear socks in the ancient land. Can you little imagine if can you imagine like being a hoplite and wearing sandals and socks? God, that'd be pretty dope. Dad move. Who wears sandals and socks? What kind of person does that? Dad's, Dad's on the beach. Dad's everywhere. So, sounds like something Jake would do. It Dad's, does. It does raise know. the question of like what they did to stop their feet from falling off when it got cold. I don't I know anything it, about ancient ancient I, world. I think they just wore heavier footwear, socks, like just regular ass shoes. Yeah, I think socks. like I think uh, they had like legit boots and stuff for like the Roman legionaries in the colder provinces. That's cool. I guess the thing about the Romans that I remember is that they figured, I guess they figured out shoes, but I know that they never figured out trousers because they considered that to be a, a barbarian innovation that was not fit for a true patrician. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, I was going to say, it's not like they never figured out how to make other footwear. They just, the sandal was the most efficient one for the Mediterranean. Well, I'm glad that we figured out this NPC and we learned a lot of things in the intervening period. Some of them are even relevant to the NPC. Yes. Another question is, does it wear pants? Um, I don't think it does. Does it have no, a magnum it, dong? No, because it's it's, <laughs> it's Greek, dude. It yeah. it's they didn't they those, those that was they were not a trousers wearing. Actually, they might have been. Did the Phrygians wear trousers? I don't think they did. What about the Thracians? Wait, 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 wait. If they were Greek, would they be the Thracians or would they pronounce it Thracia? Because they didn't have like a uh, they didn't have like a proper C sound. They had C H I and be, they had. Be Thracians. They're the ones who started the thrash metal. In the but, days. No, they started the no, they were Thracians and they started the Thrac metal. It's like black metal, but with Thrac instead. If you have a date in is in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul. The, Constantinople. In, the NPC has been finished, which is good. And by I finished, I mean yeah. Um cooling fans, right? Fins, not fans. Yeah, yeah, cooling fans. That's what that's what I said. Um just want to make sure maybe it's maybe it sounded like fans. Maybe that's, that's the fine, way I say fins. Cooling nerds? Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> If it requires a cooling mechanism, that would suggest that its exterior surface is very hot. That's good. Or at least higher than the ambient, so easier to spot on infrared. In fact, perhaps if you looked at it in infrared, perhaps you could see the the immolated uh, corpse of the man inside it. There's like a like a little little glowy thing. Yeah, that that's good because I've been wondering how are you going to communicate to the players that there is bits of a person in there rather than just being a metal suit. It should also make um, you know you know what noise I find profoundly disturbing in everyday life? The noise that the um, the coffee percolator makes when it's finished and it's just sitting on the counter but it's still got like the two hour brew cycle left so it's desperately trying to cycle the, le- the leftover water inside the tank. And I know that noise. Makes a, makes a like a horrible wet coughing sound like a drowning man. Let the yeah. record show that I was going to just screech into the mic, but I was like, that wouldn't be pleasant for anyone. But it would have made a good point. I want you to actually like record the noise this makes yourself, and then when you run this scenario, I want you to play it while the monster is walking around. Or you can uh, send it to Will so people could listen to it too. I think I, know I, I was, I was about, thinking that, that weird sound uh, in Montreal, but yeah. Um, the other one that I really like is, uh, you know, you guys know that I love the soundscape from Killer7, and I got all the sound effects, and I have the ones that um, that, that come from inside a Garcian's trailer, and so it's a bunch of clips of a guy breathing really heavily and coughing inside of a metallic object. Yeah, I think I know the one you mean. And, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really happy with where this is headed. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, I, I think the one question I have now is, should it be possible to communicate with this being? If you know Greek. That would be a cool use for archaeology. Like, you, like you shouldn't make the player learn language ancient Greek. If they've got, like, 60 in archaeology, they should just be like, yeah, I can, you know. I know the basics. Yeah. I can go, go look in, like, you know, the theogony and find stuff. Is... Classic are the classical Hellenist languages like do we do we know phonetically what they sounded like or is it one of those languages where we only know what what the symbols mean? Um, we have all the proper names, don't we? Uh, we think we do. Um, that's a good question. I guess. Um, I I don't actually know if we. I'm, just, I'm remembering the the famous bit. Not famous. I'm remembering. I'm remembering the bit in Stargate where they go to Abydos and then they're like, Daniel Jackson, you're an archaeologist. You're a fucking Egyptologist. Talk to these people. And he's like, I don't know how to speak. I know how to write Egyptian, but no one's spoken it in 2000 years. It's like how um, 
hypothetically, all of the um, hypothetically the Chinese writing system should be intelligible no matter what dialect you speak, because phonetic, uh, yeah. Well, but also because um, that was like there was a deliberate decision made by a great leader to uh, unify the language at gunpoint by having a single writing system. Right. Anyway, what I'm getting at is uh, maybe if somebody does actually speak, um, is is either schooled in the histories, has a really good history or anthropology score, um, that that could suggest a familiarity with with classical classical Greek, or yeah. for on on the completely minuscule chance that there's an agent who actually speaks modern Greek that um, they might recognize a word here or there, but the actual phenomes might not be completely intelligible to them without, you know, maybe recording it and studying it and realizing, oh, that's what they're saying. Yeah, you could, like, um, you know, maybe maybe, maybe that... I, I don't know how much, like, surveillance people are going to do with this thing, but that could be fun to, like, uh, listen to it mumble mindlessly to itself over, uh, like, a shotgun mic or over... Um, like devices that you've placed because it's not going to recognize surveillance equipment because it doesn't know what the fuck that is. Um, anyway, I think the real takeaway from that rambly suggestion of mine is the idea that having a good history and or anthropology score suggests a familiarity with classical language. Yeah, that, I think that archaeology, because because it's canonical in Delta Green according to the scenario um, uh, fulminate that having good archaeology means you can read Aztec. Yeah. And if you can read Aztec, you should be able to read ancient Greek. The one, the one thing that I realized we've contradicted ourselves on is that if the thing is super hot, then the pod is going to be absolutely useless. It's like how you can't actually have heat vision on human eyeballs because you would just see the heat of your own eyeballs. Yeah. A good flur you can um, adjust for some of that. If you can find if something's hotter than something else, you can adjust for that. You got to smear yourself with mud like in Predator to get around it. Actually, come it's to think of it, ha- having the owl on the shoulder is a bit too derivative of the of the uh, Yajida. Because he's got the thing on the it's shoulder. It's a lot like that in Predator. Yeah, it's got the little laser thing. Yeah, that's a good design, but it does mean that he's very vulnerable to just like, if you attack him from one side and he tries to reflexively shoot you and he blows his own fucking head off. It's like how in Team Fortress Two, you could, um, if if someone if the engineer is working on a sentry gun and you attack him from an angle that puts him between the gun and you, the gun will turn around and shoot him and kill him. <laughs> so there was like an art to placing the guns where you always wanted to have your back to a wall or to like a dispenser but then people figured out that you could stand on top of the dispenser and the player model was just tall enough that <laughs> the rocket would still clip him that's good there was also this would be my last one i promise uh there was also the one where um if you were a spy and you put the uh sapper on the teleporter then and the guy the guy could get rid of it by hitting the teleporter from the other side but the thing is that if you stood on the teleporter as the spy while this was happening then um the instant they took the sapper off you would teleport through and the hitbox on telefragging was larger than the range of the engineer's wrench so it was a guaranteed kill if you did not get killed by one of his teammates while you were standing on the thing and that is my 10 year old team fortress 2 more like 13 year old team fortress 2 trivia uh from a long ass time ago. That's my tribute to the VA for the soldier who recently died of coronavirus. I know about that. Yeah, it was um you know, you, you were good, son, maybe even the best is is what they say. That sucks, man. Alright, sounds good. Good goodbye, robot. I think we got something out of that. Alright, I shall dismiss the robot. We're doing an after show. What are some ways that both the person designing the scenario and the person playing the scenario can fix problems caused by 
NPCs, unfriendly NPCs, without just killing everybody and breaking everything. Because I've complained in the past about players doing this, but in their defense, it is up to me, if I don't like that behavior, to design something that gives them an alternative and to suggest to them somehow through the game world that doing things differently is possible. I, uh, I agree. Um, it's a challenge. It, you know, one of the, uh, I ran a scenario of mine that I'm rewriting or have rewritten. Um, and one of the comments was people were like, oh, I had a great time investigating and it was really fun. It was, you know, really awesome. And then at the end we shot everybody. And that at the end of the scenario, you, you kill a bunch of Nazis or like neo-Nazis, like, you know, white supremacists. And they'd really kind of earned, like they'd done a good job in the investigation. They figured out what was going on. They figured out what they needed to do. They'd had a dilemma on how to solve it. So I was like, yeah, but you shot everybody, but you, you earned it. Like you didn't, you didn't just gun everyone down who came in contact with something. You decided what needed to happen. You, you gamed it out and you killed people who needed a killing, which feels like, like if you earn it, it feels kind of okay. So your, your, your suggestion is that it is appropriate for the thing to end in violence if it is appropriately contextualized. And that attitude is the attitude that Delta Green very much took in the original game. In the original game, I think almost every published scenario ended or had a firefight somewhere in it. And they, rather than try and fight this, took it in a different direction, which is to say, let's make all these encounters really wacky and weird so that instead of just being I roll firearms, it's this crazy grindhouse horror episode where you're bouncing around on an alien satellite or fighting zombies to get through to a lair of secret Nazi wizards, stuff like that. And all those adventures were about doing the appropriate investigative legwork to get you to the exciting conclusion. Yeah, yeah like, I feel like there's a big difference between um, as I've, I've I play games where players there's this you know this anomaly this, the, the there's this incursion and they just liquidated everyone who came in contact with it. And I think that is like more of the problem. I think you're looking at uh, vice figuring out exactly what the problem is and then dealing with them. But I do think I would like to explore the idea as you if you as you have posited here about other ways to do that without violence could they have not gone down the neo-nazis but instead done something else let's say yeah and 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 maybe we can use an example that's less clear-cut than that because i think that that npcs not to to disparage your scenario but i think npcs are more fun when there's a little less black and white i think that it's more fun to have someone who when when i create npcs even when i create villains I try to create a character that I like or has qualities that would make the audience like them if they were in, you know, a television program or a book or something. Because you guys know that the best character in any work of fiction is always the villain, because the villain is the one that has the most personality, whereas the hero is just kind of a a, a bland piece of cardboard for the audience to identify with. Self-insert. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I mean, I designed the new Nazis to be a very simple, killable. That was that was by design, but I definitely. Yeah, you're, yes. <laughs> you're you're in, you're you're designing to solve a different problem, given the encouragement that the players are given by the setting, by the fiction, by their own experiences with the game. That the only way they can ever be safe and ensure something doesn't come back to bite them is to destroy it. What are some ways to achieve an outcome that is more complex and more interesting than just liquidation through combat? So I think that reason people go to combat is because it's the easiest thing to do and it's also yes. uh, the one you're most in control of so if you yes. want something that's non-violent it's also going to be something that requires more commitment on the part of the players it might be something that they have to keep coming back and doing or like you know you, you do 
you know, an action as part of your home scene or something. Yes. Um, like, like if you're monitoring somebody or if, you know, you've, you've cut off the funds for the evil wizard and his, uh, you know, his funding dries up so he can't buy the rare books off of the internet or whatever. But it's like those require more, uh, more commitment to them beyond the scope of the scenario. So like on our format at Night at the Opera, that's a little bit more difficult than in a campaign play. Then, you know, you say, all right, well, it's time for my home scene. I'm going to go check on the secret surveillance camera I installed in the wizard's house and see if he's up to any good. This is something that we discussed years ago that I remember, Will, you specifically saying this, that that the players assume that everything in the game world disappears and they stop looking at it. So the only way to make sure that they're safe is to, or that, that the problem is solved, is just to blast everything because they don't feel like they can ever come back to it. And part of it ties into the fiction saying Delta Green doesn't have all these resources to commit. Delta Green doesn't have the ability to check up on people. It's just down to you and your gun. See, but it's also, like, that can be much more low profile than having to clean up a murder or having, you know, the guy's uh, buddies come after you after you kill him, right? And that's important because one of the things that real intelligence work kind of differs from Delta Green is that in actual intelligence work, killing people is actually very complicated and difficult to cover up. Because even if you actually get away with the guy who kills the person not getting caught, the people who he associates with are going to notice that he's gone and you're going to have sent, a, sent up a giant flare to the opposition that you're onto them. And, you know, we've talked about not calling the case officer, but if you if you bag somebody, you know, or there's a wizard who we need to keep him or whatever, instead of killing the bad guy, if you bag him, then just call the case officer, hand him off, and then he's Delta Green's problem. And that's that's a, and that's a solved problem. Like, you didn't need information to extracted to like it's it's a continual asset at that point for the program. If you just pass yeah, it on I to can, someone else. I can see a player saying, "Well, you know, if I don't if I don't take care of this problem, if I if I put a camera in his house or buck his house, um, then he might like break containment and it'll be my fault. But if you give him to the program, like it's you've you've <laughs> the chain of custody is clear. He's their problem now. And yeah, maybe in a longer campaign he gets out and that's another fun adventure. But like that's not your fault. You know what I mean? Um, I so this is kind of a tangent, but we're gonna circle. This is gonna circle back to the point at hand. Trust me. Uh, I used to." shockingly design and like facilitate air, uh, airsoft games like military simulation airsoft games it was a lot of fun except the culture is toxic up here and i couldn't stand it regardless generally speaking it's pretty fun to like do a d-day scenario and have a bunch of people run around in costume shooting at each other right one of the things i realized early on because i was trying to come up with most objectives in an airsoft game are you have 20 guys on each side the enemy's got 20 respawns when you've killed 20 of them you win well, that's boring just kill the other guys it's not a fun tactical objective like it just it doesn't really make great gameplay but i realized that so i try to break down like what are objectives in what other objectives can you have and really it boils down to like you can eliminate you can like kill somebody eliminate somebody either the enemy team or a specific vip you can capture something and like bring it back like a capture the flag or you can like hold territory like capture territory and they're kind of everything nothing else really everything else no other game modes exist that don't fit into one of those categories. And in Delta Green, there's kind of, you know, you can stop the threat with violence, you can stop the threat with magic, you can stop the threat by waiting it out or talking. 
And like, I don't know if there's any other ways to do that, but there's a lot to explore there, but you still only have like three or four ways to do it, right? Should we talk about specific methods that we've used or that we'd like to use? I got a few and I'm sure that other people can come up with some stuff as well. Yeah, yeah I think so. I know, uh, I know you're going to talk about your scenarios and so did I, so I can't fault you for that, but I would like to try to circle back to some of the published scenarios and see if we can oh, absolutely, identify yeah. there Ooh. too. Yeah. I, w- I was just going to kick off with one of mine. Uh, one that I, so I actually have an example. Um, I have a group of interest of NPCs that I wrote called Talking Dog Club. And this is one of my favorite ones just from a, a perspective of how much I enjoyed writing it. But for a long time, I felt that the group was fatally flawed because it's a group of children who found a ghoul on the side of the road and took it home and started taking lessons in magic from it and they start digging up corpses and eating their brains and this group was a lot of fun to write but then i thought oh this is fatally flawed because how do you deal with this you can either shoot it or you can leave it alone and you know does anyone want to shoot a bunch of kids well the first time i play tested it yeah they absolutely did want to shoot a bunch of kids but and i so i thought well this is really boring because it just boils down to the usual moral dilemma of shoot someone that you don't want to. It's this thing I criticize the um, double act of Last Things Last and Metamorphosis for. But then, a couple days ago, I was informed by someone who had run the scenario that it was the best session Delta Green that he'd ever run because the players did like all the investigative legwork, they surveilled the kids, and then they went and talked to them, and they're like, why are you doing all this wizard stuff? And the kids said, because we live in the... this decaying cotton belt town and our parents are slowly poisoning themselves with opiates whereas opiates opioids whereas uh when i use the magic spells given to me by the talking dog i get to be somebody else and so then they talked to the kids and then they went to the talking dog and they said talking dog we're going to cut a deal with you we at delta green you're going to go back in the earth where you came from because you're all better now and you're going to leave these kids alone and because because you know that that's what's best for them because you know what's going to happen if you don't. And the talking dog was like, "All right, kids, I've taught you everything I know. I love you." And it went back in its hole and never came out again. Why would it do that? Because it's surrounded by people with rifles who are threatening the children. So it wasn't violence that solved it, but it was the threat of violence. It was the threat of violence. The threat of <laughs> yeah. violence is because the thing is with most solutions, the threat of violence is what is backing it up as the alternative. Like well, if you're the violence with- is what backs up everything. Yeah, Vi- yeah violence yeah. is the ultimate authority from which all other authorities derived. I just, I feel like I would fucking mechanic alarm, Corporal Zim. I feel like I would have a problem if I was a if I was a player in that group, and that was suggested. I don't think I would have any like what I'm looking for in a solutions reassurance that I'm not going to get a call a week later from Delta Green going, "Hey, you fucked this up. This thing is back killing people. You know, the house is rebuilt. Whatever." Like that's you don't you want to avoid that. And this ghoul getting. Like just walk, like leaving, and then like why won't it just come back and keep killing people or eating brains or doing bad things? I don't know if I would, like, like I would, I would want to violence that, which I don't think is a great solution. Owl's Head Mountain comes to mind. Yes, that's actually a great example of a very good scenario that is possible to resolve without killing any monsters. But it requires you moving around and collecting information, and it requires you to expose yourself to danger in order to get the solution, so it doesn't feel cheap. You have to do a lot of legwork and put a lot of things together in order to achieve what I would call the ideal nonviolent solution, which is to 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 send the crazy man in the woods back to his 
Mego Masters so they can finally let him die. And it is possible to resolve that scenario using violence, either on the guy whose name I can't remember at the moment. Cooter McGee. Uh, I, either on Cooter, on Cooter or on either of the Dark Young, you know, the one on the mountain you're not supposed to go to, or the one that appears on the mountain that you are supposed to go to if you blow up the stones. I, I say possible. Note, I do not say likely. I was going to suggest... Um, so nah, it's not really a good example. Sorry. I was, I was going to say Observer Effect because the ideal run isn't doesn't really involve killing people, but you still violence and threaten violence and smash a thing. So it's not really helpful. Yeah. I think sweetness is a one that people often resolve with violence, but you could resolve it with a different way. That's the one with the Delta green agent who is um, cyber stalking her kids via magic ritual. And you could, instead of uh, killing her, you could have her committed to a psychiatric hospital. Uh, You could, uh, sit down and talk to her and be like, Hey, look, I've, I've seen the same shit that you've seen. I know it's bad, but you got to stop because you're going to fuck your kids up. If you keep doing this, this gets into something that Tom keyed up for us, which is that sometimes the fate that you subject people to with your quote unquote, non-violent solution may be just as bad, if not worse. Dishonor did that. It's it's kind of like you're supposed to be horrible though. Delta green is about, Horrible people making horrible decisions. So, do you remember the fucking party where you can either murder the countess or give her to her her stalker? Oh yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Or the guys who fucking you can, Jesus. Sell them in, you can sell them into slavery to their own slave mines. Or the guy who built a lobotomy machine and you can put him through the lobotomy machine. Okay, but that's that's different because that's like you know kind of a gothic horror form of poetic justice. Yeah, but I think the principle remains that like. You can take a non-violent option and still make it unsavory and horrible for the person on the other end of it. I wouldn't know if I don't know if I would call forcibly lobotomizing someone non-violent. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's not. It's, I guess I, mean, I guess this is actually getting into a, a non-mean well, version no, of what Will told us about, yeah. about how everything is underpinned by violence because involuntary involuntarily committing somebody is is a, an enormous act of violence against them. It's like you know, Picard said, kidnapping is an immoral assault. No, you're right. It is violent. It's just like it's not immediately but fatal it, to the your, your point therapy. is well taken, though. That this is good because uh, some people feel that like these kind of cutesy nonviolent solutions don't maintain the tone appropriately. They want the game to have to be a choice between bad options, and that is something that makes these sorts of resolutions more satisfying to that type of person. That it's still a gruesome thing to do, maybe even a worse thing to do than what you were already planning on. Yeah, that's fair. It kind of leaves you like, there's a very thin layer of, I managed to avoid people and that was the moral, I managed to avoid killing people and that was the moral course of action. But was it really? <laughs> I hadn't actually thought of that framing of the uh, the low chaos run of Dishonored, Tom. That's that's good. It's, it's less that Corvo's being merciful and more that he's being like fucking the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, well, I think it's just so notable because a lot of times in games like that, the choice where you don't kill people is framed as the morally correct one. But in this one, it's really just, it's framed as the law side of law and order, or at least it's framed as just as gruesome in some ways. Um, Extremophilia as scenarios that have both potentially violent and nonviolent resolutions. A lot of, I've gathered at least, a lot of groups will try and kill McCaslin and the, the, the widow and her kid to prevent them from, you know, spreading the alien fungus. But you could just as easily just let him go to Devil's Tower and 
join the star people. Not going to hurt anybody. This is bullshit, because when I said that, you were like, no, it doesn't work that way. Did, did I? Yeah, we were arguing about this, because you keep saying I didn't read the damn scenario. This was like probably about a year after we played it. Anyway, I, I think you're you're right that that one presents an interesting... Dichotomy is the wrong word. But one thing I remember thinking about that scenario is, oh, choice. wow. Yeah, it's a choice because you can, you're, you're just, even just even just them realizing that you're onto them makes Benthic pack up and go away. So you don't solve the ultimate threat, but you solve the immediate manifestation of the problem. And without Benthic fucking around it, the giant uh, fungus ball at the bottom of the Butte pit is essentially harmless because it doesn't yeah. have people going down and taking clippings of it to make to make uh, you know magic spells or whatever. The only thing is that if I remember correctly, um, the lady and her magic fungus baby were frustrated in their attempts to climb Devil's Tower by the by the fact that um, she's a lady who just gave birth and the baby is a baby and it's illegal to use helicopters in Devil's Tower. So there's no way they can get up it. I don't think it's just that there's no way they can get up. It's just difficult. I mean, they climbed it in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Gun. Just straight up. Like, no climbing equipment, just climbed right up. You know what's weird about that scenario? They use Devil's Tower, which is a real place, but then for the, the pit, they don't use the Berkeley Pit, which is the real-life pit of toxic acids that well, the scenario is based on. They use a made-up pit that's exactly the same. It might be for legal reasons. Devil's Tower oh, is a national park, and the Berkeley, the, the Berkeley Pit might be private property. Um, I think that the Berkeley Pit is... I want to say it's also a monument because I definitely remember going out on the oh, walkway. Oh, it's, it's definitely a monument. It. It's, I mean, it's a monument to the Anaconda Company's hubris, and I'm not afraid to say it on the fucking podcast. It might also be that the Berkeley Pit is a well-known, like pe- people can, can go to it, and they maybe want to pick one that wasn't so well-known and frequented by tourists. Isn't Devil's Tower also frequented by tourists? Yes, and that yes. is in fact a problem in the scenario. Yeah, I think it might also be that if you went diving in the Berkeley fit, you would die immediately. Because uh, there, was yes. an in- there was an incident where a flock of geese landed on it and immediately died. Yes, that that is true. That is a true thing. All right, to get back to the general topic-ish, um, if you're a handler and you... Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask the player-centric question first because I feel like I talk too much about handlers. If you're a player and you feel like you have an idea to solve some of that violence and you feel like your handler is not taking it with you know like maybe not dismissing it but like isn't latching on to the fact that you're trying to solve this without violence uh aside from just like hitting the pause button and explaining yourself in metagame terms is there anything else you can do in game or, or in character to try to f- kind of force or, or wedge a non-violent solution into something all right make use of your human and your psychotherapy skills ask the handler Okay, based on the crime scenes, based on the patterns of behavior, what can we sort of, what can we determine that this person is after psychologically? And from there, try to build up a pattern of behavior of what they want. And from there, you and the team might be able to address whatever is going on inside the person's head. Maybe you can find an angle or some leverage that will allow you to cut a deal or just place some pressure to get this person to back off. That's exactly what the human score is described as doing in the agent's handbook. Exactly. Use it as more than just like a lie detector skill. Use it to try and figure out yeah, what like doing next. And that does take a little bit of give from the GM because you should have some ideas from that direction already keyed up. But uh, be more as a player, try to be more predictive with your skills and your investigation rather than purely reactive. I also wonder if 
a lot of times I've seen players who want to, uh, and I guess usually I discourage this, but maybe I shouldn't. Uh, a lot of times players want to try to loop in a legitimate investigation on top of things. You know, they 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 see if they find the cultists, so they know where the cultist compound is, and they say, well, let's, you know, if they have automatic weapons, let's bring the ATF in and roll them all up. Um, and then yeah. usually my pushback is, yeah, but then they're like in the system, they're going to cause problems. But I wonder if you could work it so that roll them all up without violence, like you just in a big arrest. Um, and then once in a system have Delta Green, you know, take them through deprogramming or whatever. And I guess if like if, if my players worked at it ahead of time with their case officer, here's what we want to do. Can can the program, you know, like flag these guys and do something? I probably should let that I mean that I like it. You know what I mean? Talking talk of the road, I like the idea. So maybe that's something you can try to do as well. I, I like it. I mean if you don't want it to be outright violent, then like I mean, there's always propensity for like an ATF raid to turn violent. I mean, that's never happened before in the history of the ATF, but still. I think that th- this was a, you know, big, big surprise. There was actually a, a, a thing on the on Alexandrian recently about this, about how to handle when your players want to go to the police. And one of the interesting things that he said about it was that it is difficult because the players are often not sure if they're even allowed to pursue that as an option. Cause I've had players say in scenarios where I included like involving a legitimate investigation as an option, straight up say to me, I always consider involving legitimate law enforcement as a way to short circuit the scenario and piss off the handler. So I don't do it because there's the expectation that, you know, you know, we, we've talked in the show before about how the reaction when you call someone for help should be, you are the rescue team, get on it. But now we're trying yeah. to think of ways to actually use the legitimate investigation to your advantage. Because maybe or, like you are the rescue team, get on it, makes people feel like they're backed into a corner and their only solution is to shoot out a bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think there's there's two types of calling the handler. There's, we're out of ideas, we don't know what clues to follow, let's call the handler for help. And that I usually, that I feel like the answer is you are the help, figure it out. Because that clearly means you have not got, you don't, you have clues in front of you. You haven't ran them down far enough. But if you call the handler and you're like, hey, here's what we got. Here's what we need to do. You know, we need this artifact to be picked up or we need, um, you know, this guy to be, you know, he's going to get arrested and we need him to be taken into custody. Like you're calling with a solution, not a problem. And I feel like the case officer should be like, great, <laughs> you've handed me a solution. That's all I'm looking for. Um, so you got to make sure you got to differentiate that and make sure if you, if you say I want to call the handler and he gives you like the, the pushback of like, well, you are, you know, you're it, but no, this is like a request to solve this problem, not, not help. You know what? Then you get to use all the cool uh, acquisition requisition rules for like making it an actual uh, legitimate investigation or whatever. And then you have like mechanical interaction to resolve it beyond, you know, shooting out or making it a persuade role or whatever. So, so that answers my question about if you're a player, what if you're a handler and you can and, and you've written a brilliant scenario with a solid nonviolent solution, and your characters are as you speak shopping for automatic weapons and you know, thermite grenades, and you like you see this violent interaction coming and you want to head it off for the pass. There's an argument for letting it happen, but let's say you want to try to give them a chance. How as a handler in game can you try to turn that around? The thing. That I the thing the thing that prompted this discussion was me realizing that having punishments for violence to discourage it as an option is not effective. Delta Green is a game with very robust punishments for violence. You can be killed in a single die roll. You can take long-term traumatic damage to your psyche. You can, you can be arrested. Fired. You can be fired from your job. 
you can face repercussions from the friends of the guy that you killed who come after you. And yet people do it anyways. And my hypothesis is it's not that violence is inadequately punished by the game system. It's that people either think it's the only option or the other options available to them are not well supported mechanically or in the scenario. So I think it is a matter of making sure that people know or have an opportunity to learn that there are other solutions to the problem. Yeah, so I guess the what I'm trying to drill down to is if 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 you as a handler know there's a good there's a non-violent solution and your players just haven't picked up on it yet, what are some tools you can use to try to without just saying like hey guys, you know, there's a non-violent solution, bing bing, is there a, a lever you can throw or a way you can try to give that idea to the players, let them explore that without just forcing it, which is almost as bad as forcing solution you can uh, make things more visible because like a lot of the times whenever people are getting ready to gear up and you know go assault the compound or whatever um, they're doing it like in secret so if you make uh, their violence more visible it might be more of a deterrent to make them not do it like uh, a person live streaming uh, the assault or they call in a news crew and say that they're being harassed and their religious freedoms are you know, being uh, under attack by, you know, federal agencies or whatever. That's just one thing I can think of because there's a, you know, that's a pretty popular one I use is like uh, the live streaming thing, zooming in on the agent's faces and uh, making that out there. But you're asking more about how to telegraph that there are uh, nonviolent solutions rather than, you know, playing the gotcha game when they do uh, pull out the guns. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to figure out some ways to head that off before it's too late. Uh, take a tactical pause, ask everyone to list all the clues that they have, and then if you haven't given them enough of a clue, remind them of the, the path to follow that could lead them to the clue that might be the revelation uh, that nonviolence is possible. It's, you know, just always just take a step back and think about what they know, and, um, and then uh, maybe ask them, the players, why, 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 are you, why is, you know, Agent Salt grabbing that mp5 like what is his uh what is his line of thought uh why why is he thinking about doing that as opposed to like why are you the player doing it would would your character have a propensity for violence might be enough to stop someone would you would your character be able of thinking of a different way would your character be able to live with this i guess something i never do is you could look at their motivations and if their motivation is like saving the innocent it'd be like like these cultists are bad guys but they're also, you know, the women and children there, or, you know, they've been brainwashed. Like, you can kind of lean on that a little bit, perhaps. Didn't stop the ATF. Well, we don't know what their motivations are. Their motivation might have been kill bad guys. Yeah, it's true. Sell short shotguns. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, motivations are good. Um, you know, maybe uh, we, we don't, we talk about, you know, trying to shy away from like PvP elements, but if there's a character in the party, who wouldn't approve of the violence, you might ask them, you know, well, what do you think about this? What does your character think about this? Is your character okay with allowing the gun guru to load up and go, uh, you know, fucking unload on the compound or what? Yeah, we just grabbed the glazers. You know, let them do that? <laughs> the glazers. That gun is plastic. It'll get through metal detectors. Will, I recall you had a scenario called The Button, and this was a scenario that... I remember when you wrote it, one of the characters in the scenario is irrevocably insane because he is convinced by the magic time button that free will is an illusion and everything's all fucked up. Two of them are, actually, but yes. Yes. 
And I thought when I when I read this, there's a solution to heal their damaged minds because both of them are obsessed with being the button. Just give them a fake version of it that they can beat. <laughs> like just give them a give them a plastic thing that they can push it and it lights up at the moment to show them that they've got control of external reality. And then there's cured. Oh, you could do that with the tome acquiring wizard as well. Uh, send him a bunch of lore mipsum. So I had one like that in a scenario that I wrote for Tormson. Tormson, a uh, frequent Melonbread co-collaborator. And Tormson had a, a, a scenario of mine that he ran and helped me workshop and is co-credited on for the last shotgun scenario contest called Operation Buscemi Skateboard. And in that scenario, <laughs> one of the potential solutions is to give the death cultists a ritual that lets them contact their god but it just plugs them into a cosmic dial tone because their god is dead and it signals to them that they don't need to kill people anymore because there's no one who's going to punish them if they fail to deliver the appropriate sacrifices i have no idea if that's a solution the players had ever hit on because he got halfway through the play test and then he had to stop and never resumed it but it's a nice thought that scenario could have a happy ending although given the setup it's unlikely to be that happy for other reasons yeah true that one's really interesting because it's so atypical for what you'd expect from delta green but it's really really interesting and really just the problem with it is that in order to get that clue and have that become an available option you have to actually use the magic spell that says this is the spell to contact this alien god which i think Tom, I know you would do, but I don't think normal players would do it, which is unfortunate because that's more fun than just burning the book. I mean, the average man at the opera player wants all the magic spells and stuff. I can't imagine they wouldn't at least try it. Yeah. Kevin, this is a scenario that uses the Orn library. Yeah. And it uses it as a source of information about death cults. I like it. So um, do you guys remember um, shit, Starship Troopers? I literally just quoted it earlier in this recording. So there's the um, the the enemy is unable to shoot you if he can't use his hand. Uh, yes, I so like the Space Station 13 version of that. If you cut off the wizard's hand, he can't make the uh, the uh, gestures for it. Yeah, there you go. So it's not killing; it's still violence, but it's not killing. But just remove your ability to cast a spell. I guess is the the wizard cannot flay you if you disable his hand, medic. And, like, don't take that, like, a physical thing, you know. I I mean, I guess you could, like, put a shotgun on the guy's hand and blow his hand off or whatever. But um, if you disable his ability to cast spells, that's, like, probably the... uh, Think of it as, like, like a a metaphor for it. Take take away his ability to cast the spells. Either the spell book or um, his ability to speak or uh, mechanically, like, willpower points. If you make him too tired, he can't cast spells. Oh yeah, just just subject him to sleep deprivation torture. I think Tom and I both came upon this idea in the preparatory phases of this episode of really vis- really aggressively bullying someone to degrade their ability to yes. conduct unnatural operations. Oh, so my mean things about their bonds. My my idea. approach. My idea was that. Once someone becomes adapted to helplessness, they lose D6 points of power, and that is a major kick in the balls to your spellcasting ability. And so listed in my scenario, 
caged heat. I wrote two years ago for the shotgun scenario contest. It is in the style of old Delta Green, a grindhouse, pulpy, ex- women in prison exploitation scenario. One of the solutions there for experienced players who know how the adaptation rules work is to just be really mean to the witch until she loses her ability to cast the spell that she needs. That is meta, and I love it. Tom had an alternate interpretation of this. Was was my what was my alternate interpretation? You said that you said that that you could dock someone and launch a merciless assault until they gave up on whatever it is that they were doing. That was an idea I think Jake had thrown out. That it's just like my idea of the narrative justification for adapting helplessness is that you like you just launch a harassment campaign and make them terrified, and eventually they're going to decide the world hates them and nothing that you can change that. So kind of their will to perform magic <laughs> is drained. Do you think that um, it's harder for uh, NPC enemies to be reasoned with than if they were just like a NPC at any other point in the game? Because like, a lot of times people view NPCs as like obstacles to get over. You have to get past the snooping neighbor lady in Last Things Last. And like most of the time, people don't pull out a gun and shoot her. They use Persuade or some other skill to bypass that obstacle, right? One of the best moments I've had in, in, in a Delta Green game was at Gen Con when I ran that. And what uh, what they did was one of them volunteered to go like visit with the nice old lady and have tea and like ask her about her grandkids and stuff. That's nice. That was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. So, would you have tea with the wizard? Um, no, no, because you never let the wizard speak. What if, uh, what if the wizard has some very lightning things for you to say that might change your worldview? What if, uh, what if, what if you speak to the wizard and uh, he gives you magic spells and then he persuades you to not kill him? It sounds like in that event I've become the mission. <laughs> but I mean, I might, might do it. Depends, you know. But uh, what I was getting at there is that um, the are all of the NPC bad guy wizard types or whatever, can they ever be reasoned with? Can you ever talk to them and learn what their motivations are and try to talk them out of whatever big evil plan they have? Or is that just too risky for most players to even think about attempting? I would say that's almost a necessity. I think if you're going to allow for a nonviolent option that involves direct interaction with an NPC, there has to be some kind of angle or leverage the players can use on them to bring them to a deal. So really the NPC needs to be more than uh, like one dimensional then? Yeah, I would go so far as to say this is like this whole episode or segment is going to be a question of NPC design as a subset of scenario design because it really starts and ends there. You know, I think I remember reading in Viscid that it is possible to reason with the Yuli monster. Difficult, but possible. Well, what are you supposed to roll to uh, like understand his intentions? Because it ain't human. Well, you'd have to you'd have to in, intuit his his intentions based on what you learned about um, about the, the the man he used to be. Because his intentions are fairly straightforward. He wants to reunite with his wife and, and, and daughter in a horrific way. You have to realize that. This is the same guy. You have to realize. You have to figure out the monster's identity and that the monster is this person you've uncovered. If you could figure that out, and if you could communicate with it, and if you could appeal to what's left of its humanity, that might you might be able to to reason with it. And that's good because with the progression of the scenario, you could make it easier. There are multiple instances of this monster 
And so you could make it more difficult as you come across bigger, stronger versions that it's just so consumed with this plan. So I think overall, if I was a player and I had a, a problem, there's a problem that has to be solved, a, a bad guy, a wizard, and I can violence him or I can not violence him. I know that violencing him, or I'm, I'm relatively sure violencing him will work. If I can kill him, he's dead. He's not a problem anymore. You know, set aside, like, does he resurrect his you know, house and and the house one that comes back um if i talk to him i need to be just as sure that talking him down is going to have 100 percent, or you know as close to 100 success rate as i can which is hard it's hard to get around that um but that's where that's where to get the success rate you need to like maybe not persuade him in a friendly way maybe grab him in a really elaborate you know like a good planned well-planned trap and give him to the program to me as a player that's 100 percent. like the program's got him tick the box we're done here but if you just talk to him and he's like yep promise i won't kill anybody else yeah i see that my persuade role feel like a player i mean i wouldn't sit on that i don't think nor would most players oh this reminds me of a really poorly uh advertised t-shirt that appeared on my facebook timeline recently now that you get those like uh, oh this will be good the ones where it reads like your data and it like recommends shirts for you and shit like that, right? Uh, it says, you give peace a chance. I'll cover you in case it doesn't work out. And there's like the silhouette of a <laughs> rifle. like. <laughs> so like the, the, the talky, you know, uh, hippie, happy-go-lucky character can go try to reason with the wizard. And the gunslinging guys can continue setting up their ambush just in case it doesn't go well. It's not a bad, like, what, what's, you know, um, was it Mattis had a great, like, you know, be nice to everyone. Oh, yeah. Have a plan to kill everyone did, you meet. Did he really say that though? I, or is that one of those misattributed things? Know. Let's find out. I played in Way of the Wicked, the Evil Camp Pathfinder campaign. I, yeah, I did it. indeed have a plan to kill everyone I met. Be polite, be courteous, have a plan to kill everyone you meet. I think that was so, um, their like that was his message to them when like Marines are going into villages and trying to like uh, win hearts and minds or whatever. Though. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a quote from Team Fortress Two? Probably. It's the sniper yeah, in the, the original introductory video from like 13 years ago. Polite, be yeah, polite, people. be efficient, have a plan to kill everyone you meet. He also once said there's only one retirement plan for terrorists. So um, is, is James Madison a Dr. Green agent? Agreed. Agreed.